You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to your hump day edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. That was my monster truck announcer voice trying to get you guys fired up for this podcast. And uh, we have a unique podcast today because it's a conversation with returning guest Byron Horton about how his family purchased 18 acres and what they have done to that 18 acres over the past several years to improve, I guess, deer the quality for deer to live on that land. So today we talk about, you know, what they've done as far as uh, land improvements, how the deer use that property, what he has done from a, from a hunter's perspective to, uh, you know, maybe change the way he hunts to benefit a smaller parcel like 18 acres um, and how he approaches every season. So it's a really cool and unique conversation. Now, we have one more week of shotgun season left here in Iowa, and I have found through some scouting uh, some standing crops that uh, have not been taken out. Uh, now, I'm pretty excited about this because we have some extremely cold temperatures coming up, and uh, although shotgun season will still be kicking until this this upcoming weekend, Sunday will be the last day. There's one day of extremely cold temperatures at the beginning of next week. And I feel like I have a pretty good shot that if I go to this food source, I might be able to uh, see some, I don't know, at least get an idea of what deer are in the area. Maybe take a doe if that is, uh, you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself. But I know that there are bucks in the area and i i would love to get a late season opportunity uh, i've never had a late season opportunity before so i'm re- you know really praying for cold nasty weather to get these deer on their feet in daylight out of their beds and uh, get them moving toward this food source so uh, i'm pretty excited that there's still some standing corn in the area um, I have trail cameras soaking right now to see if they're using the trails coming in and out of where I think they're bedding. Uh, the food source is actually on another piece of property, so I can't hunt the field edge, but 
the trails go into the timber aways and right at that fence line there's several good trails leading into the bedding area so i'm gonna post up off that fence crossing a little ways and try to catch them uh coming to to the food source now that first initial time i don't have a tree stand set up right now so that first initial time into the timber i'm gonna have to be take it really slow and take it really you know set up really carefully and quietly in hopes that i don't bump anything because i'm gonna be pretty close to where i feel they're gonna be bedding uh and you know hunt that transition that transition area between bedding and food source however i have a really good access route getting back into the timber for morning hunts so i'll come kind of a a big j upside down j to uh you know to the stand location and i feel i'll be able to catch some of these deer coming back to bed after you know after a long night of feeding get into the stand a little early uh you know shoot from the hip play it by ear type of deal and you know trial and error we'll see we'll see what happens so i'm looking forward to that now today we're going to talk on this uh on our exodus trail camera commercial about what matt klein from exodus has to say about why you should consider choosing an exodus trail camera well the one thing i'd say is one the fact that people are willing to give us their hard-earned money. So, you know, our product's in the $200 price point. Frankly, that's a day of somebody's time. You know, we come from the construction industry. That's our background. It's a big deal to us that people are willing to spend their money on us. We want to show people that when they buy Exodus, they're getting the best value in the market. Our five-year warranty um, and guarantee, our 90-day money-back guarantee, if you're not happy with your camera, you give us a call. We'll, we'll totally take care of you. In fact, we'll pay the return shipping. Um, our 50% off theft replacement policy, all of those things mean a lot. But the fact that we build our cameras to last, the fact that we build our cameras for guys that are chasing big mature deer, not just as novelty items like a lot of companies are building them. You know, our products literally are our trade. That's our passion, what we do, what we love. And every single one that goes out, we test we make sure that it, you're going to get a product that's working well. We make sure that you're going to get a product that's working for years to come and is going to assist you in everything that we love to do as hunters and as outdoorsmen. We're really excited that, uh, that, that people are considering Exodus. As always, if you guys want to find out more information about Exodus trail cameras, be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And with Christmas right around the corner, an Exodus trail camera would make a great gift. So at checkout, if you want to save $20, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers with no spaces and you will receive $20 off your purchase. Now let's get into today's BS session podcast with returning guest Byron Horton. All right, we have another repeat customer back on the show today, Mr. Byron Horton. How are you doing today, Byron? Very good, Dan. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain. I am in the middle of transferring my office from downstairs in a junk room to a quote-unquote professional office, and I got the I finished painting the walls today, which sucks, but it's done. So now I, all I got to do is... Uh, you know, start organizing and hanging stuff on the walls. There you go. All right. So today we're going to be 
kind of talking about a piece of property that's only 18 acres and how you have had success two years in a row now on this 18 uh, acre piece and and maybe talk today a little bit about you know some strategy for you know how you've been successful talk about what you've done to maybe change the property uh, what it looks like so forth and so on but before we kind of get into that the, the 18 acres itself how has your season gone so far this year uh, well, Dan, I've actually had a, a an eventful 2016 season, in my opinion. Um, I started kind of filming my hunts with a group of guys and having fun doing that, but that is also a lot of work, I've come to find out. Um, but I was also, you know, able to take the uh, this nice A point on, on my place in the uh, second week of November, so that's always a big success. And um, I guess wrapping up, I really got to get my sister her first year. So the 2016 season is by no means over for me. Okay. So you're going to go out and try to get her one with a bow or a gun? Um, probably both is, is like what we'll, we'll, we'll go after. She, uh, we, I do have, um, you know, the second gun season coming up here next weekend and we'll be out for that. And after that, we, she does have a bow and she's able to, you know, be pretty proficient at to about 20 yards is probably the max I feel comfortable, but we'll be back at it. Nice. Well, good luck to her. Now for those of, uh, for those of the listeners who maybe didn't catch your first, uh, the first podcast that you were on, um, why don't you tell everybody again what it is that you do for a living and where you live? Yeah, so I'm out of Columbus, Ohio, and the day job is uh, I'm an accountant for uh, Cardinal Health there in Columbus. So uh, that, that keeps me busy on the nine to five. Okay. Now, do not take offense to this, okay? But an accountant, when. Mm-hmm. When I just I there's guys out there who love math who love numbers I myself I would go bananas crazy if I was an accountant like I don't I, I don't think I could hack it why 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 did you decide to be an accountant um I, I like to think I'm more of an accidental accountant um uh, but I I do kind of have a knack for for some numbers and uh, has worked for a couple good companies and uh, it allows me a decent amount of time off to chase whitetail. So at the end of the day, I really can't complain. Yeah, that's uh that's a good point. I know a lot of guys do what they do for a living because it allows them the flexibility come October and November. I know one of uh, an older, an older buddy of mine, he works, I'm trying to think. He works March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and then typically halfway into October. But he has his company lays him off for November, December, and January because wow. he can't. He, he's an outdoor construction guy, and they don't mm-hmm. they don't have any use for him. You know, this time of year for the weather. So all he does is live off what he, you know, he busts his ass all the rest of the year working, you know, sun up till sundown. And then they lay him off and he goes and takes that money and, you know, he goes to a Western trip and then he hunts whitetail the rest of the year. So that's, uh, that would, that would kind of be a pretty decent gig if you ask me. Yeah, that's definitely appealing. All right. So Today we're going to talk about this uh, this 18 acre piece of property, and um, is it also in Ohio? 
Yeah, it's about um, an hour east in Muskingum County. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about what is on this 18 acres. Describe the layout, you know, if there's any cricks, uh, the terrain, you know, what the yeah. what the split uh, ag may be and timber or whatever. Yeah, so the section of the county that this particular acreage is located in is a majority of hardwoods um, with minimal ag, I'm going to say around 10 to 15 percent. Um, the actual acreage I hunt is literally 99% uh, woodlots. I've got, you know, a a north and south facing slope and a creek bottom. Um, the property is roughly 230 yards wide by 450, 460 in length. Um, and if I had to describe it from a topography standpoint, it is two ridges that lead down into the a creek bottom and I own a little bit of acreage coming off the creek bottom up the other side. Okay. So when did, is this something that you own by yourself or did you go into it with a group of people or is it family land? What's the deal? Yes, it's, it's actually a family purchase. I essentially am the manager, pay the taxes, mow it, that kind of thing. But the, uh, pops made the purchase four years ago. Um, and we go out there and still do like some family stuff. My dad does like to shed hunt with me and we'll go out there and we have just enough room to shoot some clay pigeons and do that kind of thing. Okay. So are you, when you guys were looking at this piece of property to purchase it, what was appealing to this specific 18 acres that made you, you know, close, you know, seal the deal on it, so to speak? Yeah. Um, so we had walked, I don't know, seven pieces. And so that, that kind of was a huge help to, to see what you'll say, four out of 10 pieces of property, seven out of 10. And th this acreage was kind of in the size that we were looking to, to buy from a budget standpoint. Number one, right. um, it, it had a Southern slope, which had, was, it was a thicker bedding area. Um, and obviously we had a creek bottom, so there's a water source. Now we've got a little bedding. And that southern slope also has a decent amount of, of acorn trees and beech trees. Okay. Um, so th that kind of was a major uh, appeal to, to me um, from, from, from those two perspectives. And obviously after walking about it, you kind of see some rubs and scrapes. You can start to connect the dots, but it, 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 that's what caught my eye was the southern slope, the creek bank. Okay. So what about the neighbors? What, what is the neighboring properties like? And maybe not necessarily the name of the person who owns it, but mm -hmm. who as a vague statement owns those neighboring pieces. Yeah. So I have a neighbor across the street, great guy. He owns about, you know, 15 acres and him and I text each other. Great relationship. He's a hunter as well. And we're always kind of keeping an eye. Um, and to the right of me, there is a gentleman who owns a, um, six acres, and I mean, this guy, him and I have chatted a number of times. He'll he'll shoot me a text, be like, "Hey, we had a tree fall across the line. Do you care if I cut it for firewood?" You know, I don't have a problem. I just appreciate the phone call. Or one time he called me and said, "Hey, there's a car broke down on the road. It's not you, yours or your buddies by chance. Like it kind of seems suspicious." I said, "Hey, thanks for the phone call." Right. 
Um, and then I've got another neighbor that I kind of work with. Um, he has a little bit more openings and has done some food plots and he has permission to go ahead and, you know, come on to me if he needs to recover a deer. I let him mushroom hunt in the spring. Um, and I'm allowed to come on to his place to recover a deer. It's just a gentleman's agreement. And, um, you know, I kind of improved some of the timber and he's kind of provided us some, some food sources in the area and we both benefit. And, and it's just been a great relationship with, with those three, three individuals for sure. Okay. So it's, so it, is it all smaller parcels around you? I mean, cause 18 acres, yeah. 16 acres, you know, six acres. Yeah, the only big chunk is directly behind me, and it's like 150, I want to say. Um, and I know that that gets some gun pressure, but other than that, I'm not. I, I couldn't even tell you the, the the group's name that owns it, but I know I've I've seen them there for gun season, and occasionally a, a car is there for bow season. Right. Okay. So now, if I was on a map, I'm looking at your parcel. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm zooming out. What does the like the 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 four hundred three hundred whatever acres surrounding you look like yeah kind of look like yeah there's a there's a big landowner in the county um on the other side of the road and it's oh probably a thousand acres that guy owns um if you go the other way it's a lot of smaller wood lots fifty to 60 acres and then obviously the the other way we have a lot of smaller houses that have like 15 to 50 acres okay okay so again is it kind of more timber is it a bigger blocks of timber or is there any ag like bigger? The, yeah there is well? no ag in my area for a solid two miles maybe okay. a mile as a crow flies it, it's okay. primarily big woods deer um, there are some people with cows and pastures and fields, but not necessarily row crops. Okay. So is there a lot of houses and residential areas in this, uh, this area, this, uh, neighborhood? No, it, it, it's more of a, a country setting on the road I'm on. There's one house in that mile. And then as you get towards town, it gets a little, a little more frequent a house every two to 300 yards. And as you get even closer, more than that, but, um, it's, it's more of that, uh, one house for 20 to 50 acre lots. If you look big, big picture. Okay. So for me, uh, I'm actually starting to kick around the idea of purchasing a small piece of property as well. But for me, I would want to know what kind of deer, I would want to walk the piece. I would want to maybe have trail cameras up for a season, maybe shed hunt it. Uh, did you do any of those things before you uh, closed on this piece? Yeah. So the the county I'm in, Muskingum County, is well known for uh, Buckeye Big Buck entries and having a better deer population than, than other areas of the state. Those those were two factors in considering. Okay. Um, I did talk to one of the landowners before even walking it, and I walked the place twice in that uh, February-ish time frame, so you can you could see a long ways. I don't think I would ever 
I, I, I ever is a tough word, but I don't think I would go look at a piece in July or August because I would think it'd be very tough to actually get a good assessment of the sign that's there. Right. Okay. So did you run trail cameras at all? I mean, did you know the quality of bucks that were in there or was this kind was this a piece of property that was meant to be kind of a project? I did not run any trail cameras prior to purchasing. I did not. Um, I, I, from what I had seen uh, from the rubs and the scrapes, I, I knew there was a decent, decent deer in the area and, and the neighbor had assured me, Oh, if you're a bow hunter, you're going to like it out here. Okay. So, so then what was it specifically that made you and your dad close on this piece? I mean, was was there anything overwhelmingly that was like, bingo, this is why? Or was the ground just affordable and that's why you bought uh, it? It was a combination of it, it's an hour, it's under an hour and a half from where I currently reside in Columbus. Okay. Um, so that makes getting to it on the weekends easier versus that two hour mark. You know, it's a, um, so it had to be an hour and a half to Columbus. We wanted mineral rights, which was, you know, a whole nother ball game. Um, I wanted What's, something with what mineral rights. So you, a lot of times when people look to purchase land, there are mineral rights that come along with that land, meaning you own the resources under, under the soil. Okay. Um, if you would look to purchase a piece without mineral rights, there could be a gas well already on it, or there okay. could, you know, a, a company could have bought those mineral rights and decide to put a drill, uh, you know, a well or a drill right in the middle of your food plot, for example. Okay. Um, traditionally, if you don't buy with mineral rights, the price is substantially better as far as, you know, just your price per acre. Okay. So, there's a risk. Right. Is that only because I have, I, in Iowa, I haven't heard anything about that. I would assume okay. that if I buy, I, I would assume this is an assumption, but I would assume that if I buy a 10 acre piece, I, in a company goes, Hey, I want, I'm going to drill on your property. I could say no. And they'd have to abide by that. But it sounds to me like in Ohio, if you didn't have mineral rights, any company, the state would allow a company to come on and drill. Oh, so there's some trickier, uh, situations. And a lot of that space too, is the fact this piece is in the Eastern half of Ohio towards, uh, Pennsylvania, kind of where you're getting a lot of that fracking industry okay. um, that's kind of spreading into Ohio. And we could easily talk for, for 30 minutes as far as how <laughs> mineral rights work. And, you know, if, if your rights are leased, that's a whole different thing, but you may get some income from it. I mean, uh, that, that, that was a, a lot of research before making this purchase, but I decided that I wanted mineral rights. Okay, good. So, what year was it that you ended up purchasing this piece of property? That would have been 2012. Okay, this is 12, season so. number four. Season four. All right. So the first year that you purchased it, uh, you know, what, what month was it when you bought this property? It was, we closed in March. In March. Okay. So instantly did you get out there and do some shed hunting? Yeah, I actually contacted the realtor and shed hunted a week before we closed. I was like, hey, can I get out there? Because I was just busting at the gut to get out there and start shed right. hunting. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, I, I was out there before closing. Okay. So any, any luck, any, any sheds that you find? Did you see any good sign that first walk through the woods in March? Uh, no sheds, great sign. And, uh, we, anytime you, 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 you kind of get boots on the ground and we jump some deer, so visually getting some evidence, okay, maybe they're bedding here. Maybe they're using this, this area, but no sheds that first year. Okay. All right. So the season was over when you purchased this property. What mm -hmm. was your goal leading into the 2013 season? So my goal was really just learning. I know it, it, I, I realized at that point it was probably going to take me a year or two to kind of figure the place out. So I basically set up four stands around the perimeter of the property and you, you make educated guesses. You say, okay, here's a bedding area here. I can hunt this on wind X and Y. Um, right. and, and, and that was kind of my approach going into it. As far as I'm going to hunt this place a decent amount of times, I'm going to play the wind, but I don't think I was at the point in my hunting career where I was like, okay, I've got a south wind. But how is a, a whitetail going to use a south wind on this piece? It was more, hey, this south wind is low pressure for this piece. Right. You know, it was, I wasn't as involved in, in how I was thinking about my hunting. So I basically surrounded the place and hunted the corners. Okay. So then what did you end up seeing? that first bow season? Any, um, did, you, was, did you learn anything? What did you I see? Did. Yeah, we, after two or three times of entering the property on the right-hand side, because I basically have a four-wheel trail, four-wheel path that goes around the perimeter, and I was accessing it down this right side. Okay. Well, it's it, in, in a few afternoon hunts, one, we jumped, you know, a 120-plus buck, and the other time we, you know, we, we jumped a few does or some other deer. I kind of started piecing together like, Hey, I, I can't be accessing down this right hand side. Like this is either a morning entry or a no fly zone. You can't hunt this side. Okay. So, um, did you have any success on this 18 acres or, um, throughout that, you know, you, you mentioned some access knowledge that you gained, but, uh, mm -hmm. from, from, uh, from deer movement, did you, did you see how they were using your property in relationship to maybe coming and going up to other properties? Yeah, I actually, I, I found what I'll call my best stand site or best stand area that first year, which is on the very backside of the property on the other side of the Creek on my, I'm basically playing the deer movement off my neighbor's property. They have a bedding area on top of this hillside. And I went in there one day, you know, the first year I owned it, and I saw like three or four bucks kind of cruising the downwind side of this bedding area. And, and that's, that was what I'll call the first big piece of the puzzle. I mean, this place is 18 acres. I'm not going to have three or four great stand sites. I, I, at that point I had found the, the, the honey hole, um, okay. as for, as far as like any success, I did shoot a doe off this, this piece and right after gun season with my bow and, and that was a that was a special feeling, um, taking a deer off a off a urine place. Okay, so so then you 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 learned a little bit how this you know how this property started to work as that season was 
you know, in progress or towards the end of it, were you putting together a mental game plan of what you wanted to do to improve your property at all? I, during the season, I was not, you know, to the, to that point, but after finishing the season, I started talking to a few landowners, um, that were family friends that had recommended a couple of places I could go to get information on whether that be like the the state forestry has a program that I actually did end up getting enrolled in. Um, But there's also like another tax break that you can kind of get a forester to work with you on as well as there are a couple. Oh, I found some people off uh, some hunting forums that, that were forestry based project groups um, so the wheels started turning at the end of that 20, uh, 2013 season. Okay. So then let's see here. What, what were those things specifically that you, that you wanted to do? Yeah. So I ended up contacting my County forester. Okay. Um, and I went with the, the, the Ohio forestry program. Um, I, not only do you get a tax break, which is great, but, he was able to put together a plan with me to maximize my goals, which obviously I want to make the best whitetail habitat I can have. And I obviously didn't go to school for four years learning about trees and bushes and stuff like that. So he came out, did a three hour walkthrough on this place and he's got his notepad out. He's jotting down different things and he's tying ribbons on, on items and, and stuff he identified for me to work on was one, I had some invasive species that I had to get rid of, which were this autumn olive plant and this what is known as the tree of heaven. He was big on getting those out of there. Um, but I learned a lot as far as tree identification goes. And he gave me some projects as far as like hinge cuts are concerned. Um, we He gave me a couple areas on my place. He said, hey, we can improve getting you know sunlight to the forest floor here and create more of a bedding type area. Okay. He he also recommended um, something I didn't know, but if you take a oak tree that's about as round as, say, a baseball bat, um, that tree will respond really well to clearing the canopy around it. He said mature oaks, you know, they've already kind of grown. If you, say, cut a maple next to it, a less desirable species, you know, from a from a hunter's perspective he's like it'll react but if you can release what he says teenage oaks those are the trees that then can get some more sunlight really start producing and be beneficial to what i'm trying to do and attract you know white tails gotcha okay so how many of those projects did you get done between the 2013 and 2000 the summer after the i guess the 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 time between the seasons yeah, that year I had just worked on a few hinge cuts and I girdled a couple of trees, um, which is essentially a process where you make a one to two inch incision around the tree, uh, essentially cutting the bark. And then I would move up another six inches and do another incision with the chainsaw around the tree. And what that does is it, it, normally those are bigger trees that I don't feel comfortable dropping myself with a chainsaw. Um, but you're cutting the nutrients from the floor to the leaves and that tree will hopefully die within three to five years. And again, I'm getting that sunlight to my forest floor to increase browse 
and to increase cover. And those are both things that whitetails love. So gotcha. um, those were the two projects I did that first year. Okay, cool. Um, and so did you see any direct result in the deer living on your property or, um, you know, maybe not necessarily living or betting on it, but being more comfortable coming through it or, you know, maybe having more food there for the 2014 season. Did you see an increase in deer activity because of your actions? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'll say 200 times. Like I, I saw such an increase in my, my sightings. Now also I was, a little bit smarter from a hunting perspective and pressure. I just wasn't hunting the place as much, but I was kind of adopting more of that quality sit um, mentality. And I think a combination of setting up that sanctuary in my property with those hinge cuts and, and providing that bedding cover. My neighbor actually called me one day. He goes, I was driving down the road. I stopped my pickup truck. He said, I glassed three bucks bedded on your place. And he's like, they were all within a pretty close distance of those hinge cuts. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Now, this was like late February after hunting season. But for him to call me and be like, I think, you know, this what you're doing is definitely paying off. That was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, how long did it take, I mean, from an hour's standpoint, to do what you did? How many hours would you say you put into that property improving it? Um, that first year, I'd say a solid six to 10. Um, but if we would count the surveyor time in there, we're talking another 13. If you can't, you know, I'm just, that's raw boots on the ground. I'm there. I also don't have a four wheeler, so I got to walk everywhere. Um, that's raw boots on the ground time. Uh, You know, I'm also driving an hour and a half each way. So, right. Yeah, I would say in that 12 to 15, uh, as far as those hinge cuts and girdling trees is concerned that first year. Okay. So what, what was your 2014 season like because of this, you know, these improvements on your property? Yeah, that with the combination of of less is more, I, I, let's see here. I saw more deer and I, um, I started seeing a, a little bit more of like the, what I'll call two and a half year old bucks. I was seeing more bucks. I, 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 I that year I wasn't like swamped with one forties, but I did see a couple of, you know, two and a half, three and a half year olds. Um, never, never got a crack at any of them, but I, I started seeing a little bit more and, and definitely an improvement. Okay. So let's see. Did you notice an a quality of deer improvement in your area as well? Like, I don't know, over those years, what was your goal as a bow hunter? I mean, were you shooting three year olds? Was your goal a four year yeah. older? I I I was taking three and a half year olds right around that Pope and Young mark. I was I would be happy with. Okay. So three and a half or older, um, then 2014, did you, I mean, did you have a successful season in 2014? Um, I'm not going to lie, Dan. I shot a Jimmy buck (laughs) 
Uh, I had a buck come through 40 yards. I had three seconds to make a call and he looked decent on the left side. And I now hunt with binos every, every time out. <laughs> so he, he was, uh, not what you were, not what you expected after you got. Down oh no, no. I was sick to my stomach. That's yeah. Right, I shot man, a two and a half happens. year old hundred incher. Yeah. I, and, and, and like one thing I hear you preach about you. Okay. Learn from it. You know, what right. can you take away? So now I hunt with binos every trip. I don't care. And I hunt a lot of public land and I take them in regardless. Right. Okay. So on your specific piece of property, are you, you're only hunting that now or, you know, as 2014, the less is more approach, you're only mm-hmm. hunting that on ideal conditions, right? Yep. I, I generally will not touch it in October. Um, I will generally wait for either that, like that November 5th, 6th, 7th time frame. Um, if I go to my best stand that's on the backside of the property, just below a bedding area where I've, you know, had success, I will do an all day sit the first time because I don't want that in and out, in and out traffic of, of leaving scent, stomping in. Right. Okay. Now, what are your neighbors shooting? Are are they un, in the same kind of uh, ballpark as you with a, th- a three year old, three year old or older? Yeah, my one neighbor to the to on my side of the road, he's he's killed a couple nice deer in the in the one forty to one fifty mark, um, and he's he's patient and selective, and actually watches his doe harvest too. He's he he's conscious of you know he said he saw a you know a decrease in the population so he was shooting younger does because the mature does tend to you know be successful at recruiting fawns um now the gentleman across the street um he's not necessarily the best hunter and therefore is not the most selective but also doesn't seem to see as many deer as i do right okay all right so you're, there's not really a a case of you know you don't really have a lot of fear of if you pass if you pass a deer in in hopes that it's uh, bigger next year like you 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 pass a three year old in hopes that next year you see it as a four year old you don't necessarily have that fear that your neighbor might kill that buck. Yeah, I I you know I think there's a decent chance that I can start passing three year olds to make it to four. Okay. Cool. Now, so so you you started seeing some success because of the the work you were putting in on this property. Are your mm-hmm. neighbors doing any type of uh, property improvements uh, towards whitetail hunting as well, or are they just property owners? I have one gentleman who he has done some food plots. He's done some. Um, apple and fruit trees and i think i'm the only guy that's kind of touching their timber and looking at that as the draw to their piece okay so are you noticing you know when they started putting in those food food plots and fruit trees did you notice any type of uh did you notice any type of alter alter in movement like was their movement altered as the deer movement coming through the property at all? 
Not from my visual sightings, and and I think that's partially because it's an 18-acre piece, and I've kind of figured out the the two bedding areas, and and I don't have that a uh, that necessarily attractive, uh, evening destination style, you know, food source. Right. right. Okay. So 2014's over. Um, mm-hmm. Did did you find any sheds because of some of this uh, property improvement? You know, like they're they may be like your buddy said. A, uh, I saw some bucks bedded on your property in February, mm-hmm. uh, which could result in finding some sheds. Any any luck shed hunting? That year, I did find. Uh, I mean, small sheds, but but that's still to me a huge positive, um, especially right. on a small piece. I did find one shed. Um, I I, I kind of discovered a textbook buck bed. You know, down log, can see downhill. If the wind's out of the south, he's, you know, got the wind at his back. Um, the stuff that Dan Infold talks about, if you will. Like, it is a textbook buck bed. I, I kind of discovered that that year. Okay. Um, so so cool. I go back there every year looking for sheds. And a lot of times there's, you can tell a deer's bedded there, but there's not necessarily sheds there. Gotcha. All right. So you did some work between 2013 season in the 2014 season now what did you what did you do to continue that trend uh between the 2014 season and the 2015 season so that year i i did just like maybe one hinge cut like i didn't i didn't necessarily do a lot of 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 raw improvements i did go in with um a oh uh, an extended pole saw and, and kind of cut branches that maples may be growing over next to oaks and, and try and help some of those out. Um, but I would say that was a minimal year for my, um, my improvements, but I noticed from my hinge cuts from the prior year, I was starting to get a little more of that, that successional growth. Those brows were starting to really get some sunlight to that forest floor and the areas were thickened up. And now I had these horizontal logs plus, growth and, and the property was much thicker and denser. I started to notice that in that spring. Okay, cool. So then, I mean, ha, did you start running trail cameras on, on this property by then? Did yeah. I have what a, kind of deer were coming through. Yeah. I have, a, uh, I've always been, you know, kind of running trail cameras and I'm getting better with that strategy. Um, at, at that point in time, I was getting, um, the occasional 130 plus to, to, to cruise the bottom, um, you know, catch them on a scrape, um, things like that. It it would not be unheard of for me to get, especially come late October, two or three, you know, one thirties sometime, you know, either night or daytime, but on a scrape, I I could catch a picture of them. Okay. So what was your goal in Ohio, you know, with purchasing this land, okay, after this, after the 2014 season into the, into the 2015 season, were you hoping by then to have at least started seeing some, because, and I, I'm not you know, I don't know what your area is like as far mm-hmm. as quality, quality deer, but for me, I'll just, and I'll use my, my surroundings as if I was to buy 10 acres in I'll just say the 10 acres that I'm kind of looking at, uh, right now, I, there's a potential that I would, you know, I, I do this work, make it thick and nasty. I would be hoping that at least 
there's a 150 class buck that comes through a mature, I say four-year-old and I, for me, score really doesn't mean a lot, but uh, mm-hmm. like four, five, maybe even a six-year-old buck working that area on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What were you looking for from, from an age class, you know, after you've put th- these, you know, two and a half years into this? Yeah. I was still at the point where I was looking to harvest the Pope and young deer. I was, okay. you know, three and a half year old kind of Pope and young. That's, that's where I, I, I was at as far as my hunting career. And I was, I was starting to capture bucks in that 130 range, um, on camera every year. Um, and I was close one time I had a picture of him there a half an hour, 45 minutes before I was headed into my stand. Gotcha. Um, but I think he patterned me, if I'm 100% honest. Okay. I, I think he had picked up on, on, on me going in down this certain trail, and he knew that if he saw, you know, a light coming through in the dark, that he was going to some other bedding area. Okay. So now that, uh, you know, the 2014 season was over, you did some hinge cutting before the 2015 season, and that was last year. What mm-hmm. – um, you had a, you, you were successful in 2015. Uh, mm-hmm. first off, why don't you just t- tell us what did you end up shooting and do you feel that it was because of some of these hinge cuts that you, that you did that this deer worked the ground maybe because of something you did to me manipulate deer movement? Yeah, I, I would say the 2015 season was my best year as far as seeing deer on that piece of property and, I saw, I hunted that piece five times and I saw bucks five times. So that right there was kind of not an aha moment, but I was just like, okay, this is really starting to pay off. And and I ended up, you know, shooting a three and a half year old. Um, He's, you know, 127 inches with a broken G3. Okay. So by this time is the property, Mm -hmm. I mean, when you bought it, it sounds to me like it was some, kind of an open timber scenario mm-hmm. is was it now starting to become this thick nasty you know dream whitetail scenario for you there were definitely areas of uh, of this property that were a little more open than, than they should be and they were really yeah i do feel like it was starting to really come together um and I think it was both a combination of some of this work I, I was doing, but also kind of the advancement in, in my strategies on the place. Okay, cool. All right. So then 2015, you harvest a buck on your property. Mm-hmm. Pretty pumped about that. Um, oh, yeah. Did you do anything additional now or to your property, or was there any changes in your area maybe from some of the other landowners that was a benefit to the entire area. The only thing, are you talking about my off season from 2015 into the 2016, as far as what I look to do? Yeah. The, the one thing I did a little YouTube research on was, I, you know, everyone's heard of hinge cuts and, and stuff like that, but I, I, I believe there were a few guys, um, even on the Wired to Hunt podcast, I talked about making an individual bed. Um, and I looked at a couple YouTube videos and, and tried to create this as, and I would make a hinge cut, but then I would come in with a like gardening hoe and make the ground a little more level, clear a little bit more brush away, um, taking that bedding area concept 
to the next level. Okay. Um, and I only did that like on, like I, I, I used a couple existing hinge cuts to just kind of better with the hoe, but I did make a few cuts. Okay. And did, uh, you made some hinge cuts, you did some individual beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how was the food sources, you know, now after this going into your fourth year or, you know, mm-hmm. third and a half, fourth year, how was the food sources looking on your property? Yeah, my um, I, as far as the brows and briars are concerned, they've they've grown a dramatic uh, amount in this amount of time, um, and I, I've heard that takes a few years of getting that sunlight in the spring. They really get those things to grow. Um, you know, the berry bushes are there. Um, as far as an oak oak production is concerned, a lot of my oak trees are in a sanctuary kind of section that I stay out of all but two times a year. I mow the, a trail that runs through there just in case I'd have to shoot one and drag it out of that area. And then I shed hunt it once a year, but I pretty much stay out of, so I can't, I can't be like, Oh yeah, my, my oak trees are now producing much more in this specific area. Cause I stay out. Right. Okay, cool. So with with this work going now into the 2016 season, um, your first hunt in or trail cameras did you have you, did you notice more does using your property? Did you notice more bucks? I mean, how how was your how was the herd using your property? Yeah, this summer was my best trail camera summer uh, as far as. Um, bucks are concerned. I, I generally have a couple doe groups that'll live on my property and, and visit there on a regular basis. But this summer, I actually got a picture of the deer I ended up killing. I think I had him on camera 13 or 15 days from, from July to August, which on an 18-acre piece, that's pretty impressive um, considering I don't have a destination food source. Um, and, and really, I'm, I'm running mineral, you know, a mineral lick to get my inventory. Gotcha. Okay. So, so going in there and hunting the first, you know, and you really don't get a chance to see how your work, the work, the hinge cut does every year until, mm-hmm. you know, that summer time frame hits. Did you notice going into this 2016 season, additional thick, nasty areas? Yeah, I, I mean, every year the, the from the areas I, I, I've hinge cut, and I did have a couple of those trees that I girdled back in like 2013, croak. So okay. therefore, the, you know, the, they were dead. The sunlight was getting below them. Um, I did the, visually. You can walk down this trail, um, and and you can't see. 30, 20 yards most of the time. And three years ago, you could see 50, 60, maybe even 70 yards in places. Okay. Okay. And so then did uh, your first your first couple sits into the 2016 season, I mean, did you feel good about what you've done? Um, were you happy with, you know, the results? I mean, typically you can see the first couple sits onto a piece of property what the deer are doing, what, uh, you know, that you could find sign or were you seeing mm-hmm. more of what you wanted to see? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I started seeing, um, and typically I don't hunt the place though. Like I, I think the first time in, I went October 22nd. Um, 
on a cold front and a good overhead underfoot moon times. Um, I saw just a few deer and I was hunting a low kind of not an observation stand. I definitely could kill a deer out of, but a low pressure, uh, stand where I can get in and out of and not alert many deer that I was even on the place. Um, but yeah, I definitely see an improvement. Okay. So 2016 was another successful, uh, season for you. Um, Mm -hmm. tell me, tell me about you know, briefly tell me about your 2016 season. Yeah. So, and, and actually you, you deserve a little bit of credit on this with your, uh, mobile run and gun style. Got to, you know, got to adapt to deer movement. Um, so on November 5th, I went into what I call this, I call it kill Ridge because there's a bedding area kind of off. It's majority on my neighbors and a little bit of it is on me that I sit just on the downwind side of. And it is on a nice shelf on the ridge. And traditionally, I see bucks cruise in and out of this area. And on November 5th, I went in there. And I saw that a couple of does kind of were using this top section of the trail. And sure enough, a little Jimmy buck followed that top section of the trail. And at this point, I'm 40 yards from the trail. And I was like, okay, mental note. So when I go back in there on November 13th, um, I went in with the running gun set. I went 20 yards past the, the stand I had already hung and got up in this tree. And best morning of the year, as far as deer movement is concerned, a lot of them, you know, a couple doe groups filed by and 1030 shooter spotted at the bottom. And, um, you know, I, it's funny. He, he might've seen me drop my binos cause here I am checking after, you know, shooting a Jimmy buck a few years ago, I, I wanted to make sure it was a, a good deer and he kind of worked his way up and took the trail that I had seen deer move on on November 5th. And I'd seen deer move on earlier in that morning and 20 yards. He came by, I was able to put a good shot on him and, and, you know, make the harvest and, what got me that deer was by, you know, kind of adopting this mobile hunting strategy. But, you know, the fact I picked up a new stand and sticks this year and have kind of adopted that style of, of, to my hunting style. Okay. So previously you were kind of in some ladder stands or fixed stands, so to speak. Yeah. The, you know, I'd buy the, $20 $20 metal sticks and then throw a cheap hang on at the top. And I, I have a couple of those scattered throughout the, the place, but, um, I, I, I am, I, I hunt a lot of public land as well during, you know, some of the October time period. And even, even during the rut, I, I don't hunt this place all that often. I, I may hunt say 10 to 15 times a year. I may only hunt this piece of property four days. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so, so you're very, very specific going into this and with this new, um, you know, with this new style of hunting that you have adopted, uh, the running gun, are, do you feel that you could hunt this property more because you're, you're very flexible with where you can hunt now? Yeah, I think I'm more efficient. Um, if I'm sitting in stand and, this also happened in my 2015 season. I was sitting in a stand and early, you know, November, like seventh, I saw a buck move out of the bottom. Um, 
you know, 40, 50 yards from me and I just had no clear lanes. Well, I went back in there on November 15th with a climber, walked right past it and, and went up in the tree and was able to harvest, uh, you know, a buck using that same trail. Um, so I, I think by adopting this style and having that equipment has made me a much better hunter. I, there's the stand, my stand and stick combo got me my deer this year, hundred percent. Okay. So then you, uh, you feel that with a smaller, you know, being mobile with a smaller piece, you have more, you, you may have more of an opportunity at different, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to word it, but, uh, give yourself more opportunities on a smaller piece of property. Yeah. Cause like I've hunted this, what I'll call kill Ridge area on my place. That's just below a bedding area. I've hunted four trees in, in the last two years and okay. we're, they're all within 20, 30 yards. But each year I would go in on that first sit and see something that I said, mm, I need to be 20 yards to the left or okay. I need to be 20 yards up the hill. Right. And now I can make that move and that stand and sticks makes it a little bit easier than even a climber. And I think it's a leave, even a little bit more quiet, which is key. I mean, it's just, it's changed my game. Okay. So what is the future? Whether that's one year, let's talk two two scenarios. All right. Mm-hmm. What, what's your goal? What are you planning on doing to your property between now and the 2017 season and also maybe long-term goals, uh, four or five years down the line. Ooh. Ooh. Well, the, my off season project probably for the 20 before 2017 is I've got a couple of great vines shooting up around some of my mass crop trees that I know that I need to be taking care of those. Um, and I've also got to start attacking, some of the invasive species. Um, there's a there's a plant called the autumn olive that is, I've got a few of those bushes and I know if I let those go, those can take over and there's no real nature benefit to them. Um, okay. So those, those are something I've kind of put off. I was, I was more looking to improve my deer hunting quickly and I thought the hinge cuts was a little better way and, and some of those timber improvements, but I've got to take care of those invasive species and I've got some great buying issues going on out there. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, what about long-term now? I mean, are you thinking ever that you could clear enough trees to put in a food plot or make your, you know, make your uh, bedding or make a even better bedding, make, you know, just make your property one giant bedding area? I don't know. What were you thinking? Yeah, yeah I definitely, well, I, I, I think a few things I, I got to look at is, um, I have a neighbor that has put up a barn somewhat close to my place. And I think that may push the deer just a little farther from that opening. I don't think they're going to go too far. I mean, um, they're pretty adaptive, but I, I definitely think I maybe have to look at, 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 you know, where they may transition to from because of that barn being there. Are they going to bed just a little lower on this hillside? Are they going to bed a little farther down in a different area. Um, and as far as food plots are concerned, that's something I could probably do like a small kill plot. I could probably do some small little clover, um, something that, you know, doesn't get a lot, you know, can grow well with not a, a lot of sun. Um, 
Yeah, that's something I may look into for sure. Okay. Well, sounds like you got uh, you guys. You, I mean, you got your hands full between now and the uh, upcoming, you know, couple seasons. So, uh, good luck with how everything uh, turns out, and uh, keep me keep me posted because you know I'd love to get you back on the show to talk. You know, kind of follow this property. Are you in talks, or have you thought about? you know, communicating with other landowners around you that touch your property and saying, Hey, I'd love to buy an acre off you, or I'd love to buy your property or. I'd oh, Dan, you, <laughs> you are reading my mind, dude. Um, that, that, that is something I have really thought about it. Um, currently there is acreage next to me that has, uh, cows on it for like 50% of the year and deer and cows don't really get along. So I would love, even if they'd sell me five acres, I mean, it, it would, and they would, then I would have the opportunity to put in some food plots because they've got some, some open, open spots, not just all timber. So that, that could make me a, a deadly, deadly option because then I could have, you know, this timber improvement of bedding areas with a food source and even maybe even do like a destination food source and get something up there in the one to two acre size. Okay, cool, man. Well, hopefully that all works out with you. Uh, Byron, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing, you know, the, sharing the story of this property. Uh, I'd love to get you on again, you know, as this, you know, as the story of this property progresses and uh, good luck the rest of this season and uh, good luck uh, on upcoming seasons with this property. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. So huge shout out to Byron for coming on the show, taking time out of his day to tell us, his story and share with us a little bit about uh, his property and, and what his plans are for the future and what he's done so far to uh, improve that property. Also, thank you, the listener, each and every day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for making this uh, podcast what it is today. I really appreciate it. Huge shout out to uh, the partners of this podcast, Exodus Outdoor Gear and their Exodus Trail Cameras and Deer Lab. So huge shout out to those guys as well. If you guys haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review about this podcast. That really helps me um, when I can show a, a positive review to people and get them interested in this podcast as well. If you feel that you're learning a lot from this podcast or, or maybe not learning anything, but just enjoying the conversation that I have with a lot of these people, uh, you know, go out there and leave a review. Also, Check me out on Facebook. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm there on all the normal social media platforms. And other than that, guys, uh, there's still a lot of season left in, in these states. And if uh, you're in a position where you've been hunting really, really hard and you have not had any success so far this year, please be smart and use your brain and wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>